Welcome back to Getting to the Bottom of It. I'm your host, Lizzie Jensen. The district will be saying goodbye to Smithsonian Zoo pandas Tian Tian, Mei Shang, and Xiao Qi Ji by December 7th. And this weekend was their farewell party because they're being sent back to China, who loaned the fuzzy creatures to the zoo almost 23 years ago. To celebrate the pandas, the National Zoo held a nine-day-long celebration titled Panda Palooza between September 23rd and October 1st. But the departure of the pandas, favorites among D.C. residents, is leaving many wondering why they're leaving. In this week's episode, we will discuss the history of the Smithsonian National Zoo pandas, hear from some panda lovers, and explore the concept of panda diplomacy as it pertains to U.S.-China relations. The relationship between the two powers began in 1972 when President Nixon first visited China. To symbolize formal relations between the U.S. and China post-visit, the Chinese government gifted a giant panda to Nixon that same year, thus creating panda diplomacy, which has since been used by China with several other countries, including Japan, the United Kingdom, Germany, and France. Here to speak with me on panda diplomacy is political science and international affairs professor Bruce Dixon, who teaches courses on U.S.-China relations here at GW. Hi, Professor Dixon. Thank you so much for joining me. Great to be with you. Yes. So... What is this idea of panda diplomacy? Uh, China uses pandas as part of its goodwill diplomacy, either as a a gift to another country or in the case of the the pandas that uh, have been in the the U.S. since 2000 on like a long-term lease arrangement. So it's meant to signify friendly relations between China and whatever country it has either given or lent pandas too. And, you know, everyone loves pandas. And so it's it's an easy thing for them to do at a time when the panda population is an endangered species uh, and much of its natural habitat has been uh, developed through urbanization and agricultural development and so on. The population has been shrinking. And so there's an active effort within China to try and increase the the population of pandas, uh, which makes the gifting of pandas a bit either controversial or counterproductive, but it's been such a long-term arrangement or uh, pattern of behavior that it's it's, um, hard to to stop it because it it has been such a key part of its uh, efforts to create goodwill with other countries. The pandas that are currently in the Smithsonian Zoo have been on lease since the year 2000 as an agreement between the United States and Chinese governments. It was announced in 2020 that the pandas currently residing in the Smithsonian National Zoo would be returning to China by the end of 2023 on account of their leases having ended. DC residents and panda fans have become skeptical as to why the zoo will not be starting another lease with China for a new set of pandas, and some are concerned that there are political implications. So some researchers disagree whenever it comes to the validity of panda diplomacy and its significance in the U.S. today, specifically with the pandas that are in the Smithsonian currently. What are your thoughts on the scale of political influence held by the Smithsonian pandas? So I I would say it is part of a sort of low-key kind of soft power type approach to diplomacy. It it has been such a long-term arrangement. It doesn't, it hasn't really been affected in the past by the ups and downs of the relationship. Although now with the current arrangement ending, the pan is about to be sent back to China at a time when relations between the US and China are probably as bad as they've ever been. 
you know, one question becomes going forward, will China either gift or lend pandas to the United States again, uh, especially to the to the uh, the National Zoo here in Washington? Um, that would be some symbol of China's intentions to uh, offer a goodwill gesture. If they don't, it could be interpreted otherwise. But in the grand scheme of things between the two countries, pandas have, have little significance beyond the warm and fuzzy aspect of it. I've also read some people speculate that China's panda diplomacy, gifting of pandas, was a way of sort of spreading Chinese nationalism, in a sense, um, since pandas kind of almost serve as a symbol of Chinese culture, Chinese wealth, and that they're giving out pandas. Um, is that still valid today? What are your thoughts on that? Well, when they first started doing it back in the 70s and 80s, China was not very prosperous. So the gifting of pandas was really much more of a cultural exchange than than, than anything else. And I think that's still largely a key to why they, you know, send their pandas abroad as, as you know, four-footed diplomats to try and just promote goodwill, but also to remind people who go visit the pandas that the main image that we have of China is often as a rising power and a more of a uh, security issue. And so pandas are the very opposite of that. They don't look very threatening at all. They're cute and adorable. They roll around and do funny things. And so it's just easy way for the Chinese government to try and promote a different image for themselves, at least while people are looking at the pandas, not think about what we usually read about China in the media. But again, I don't know if that's very successful, uh, but it's been a longstanding practice It'll be interesting to see whether or not it continues and whether whether the U.S. will receive or the National Zoo will receive pandas going forward. Professor Dixon explained that panda diplomacy is a form of soft power, which is a concept created by scholar Joseph Nye that describes the use of cultural influence within other countries to spread power, as opposed to a physical and violent exertion of power. Pandas quite literally are a form of soft power because they're just you know, they're roly-poly and, and fluffy fur and, and the big eyes and ears and so on. And so it's just, it just is a different symbol that we have of China than, say, the Great Wall or more recently with military and technology and trade issues. Pandas are not controversial. It's just, they're just what they are and everybody loves them. And so it's, it, it's a convenient thing, an easy thing for, for China to use to try and improve its image, whether in fact anyone changes their mind after seeing pandas, who knows? I, I haven't seen anyone actually look into that as, as a, a area of, of, of research of any kind, but uh, it's more of a fun thing. Wrapping up into so larger geopolitical issues is probably missing the point. Uh, it's really just more of a cultural exchange. The United States has been using soft power long before China's pandas, and you most likely never realized it. Internationally, the image of the United States is not just about the U.S. government and its military and its, its economic prowess, but its culture, its movies, its music, its fashion, and that comes from society, right? So this is a softer version of power. That's often why the U.S. is has a good reputation abroad, people may not like U.S. government policy, 
but they like movies, they like the music and, and so on. So China would like to do something similar to make people not just focus on its growing military might, what people perceive as, as security threats coming from China, and what wants to offer something else that's similar to the US um, soft power. It doesn't have very many options because it's movies and it's literature and it's music and not really appealing outside of its immediate market, but something like pandas are something that has just global appeal. Right. You know, you, you don't have to speak Mandarin to know that pandas are cute. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. After my discussion with Professor Dixon, I took to the Smithsonian Zoo's Panda Palooza celebration on Friday, September 29th to gather sentiments from the community on the pandas. Many visitors were from out of town, but made the trek to D.C. because of their personal ties to the pandas. Mother and daughter Marty Mathis and Cheryl Ryan traveled to the district from New Jersey just for Xiao Chi Ji, the baby panda who was born in 2020. How do you all feel about the fact that the pandas are leaving soon? Is that what brought you guys down here? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Yes, we watched uh, the baby grow up, Xiao Chi Ji, how we would pronounce it during the pandemic together, like from our separate houses. So it was kind of a bomb between me and mom. So when we found out they were leaving, I kept saying we were going to come visit. So, How does it feel to finally be able to see the baby? in person we've been here since what we got here at 8 30 this morning oh. and as you can tell we are we are glued so to the pandas and we saw all three pandas yes what are y'all's parting messages for the pandas before they go back oh i don't want them to go back we're gonna miss you so much I would thank them for all the joy they brought us and everybody, especially during the times when we were all isolated, watching them like really kept us together and gave us something happy to laugh about and have fun with. So that's kind of, I would thank them for that. Other visitors from the DMV expressed their personal ties to the pandas and the DC community. Shannon Delano from Richmond, Virginia, grew up in Fairfax County and has fond memories of the pandas from when they first arrived in 2000. Delano came to the zoo today with her husband and friend to bid the pandas farewell. All right, so what brought y'all to the zoo today? I dragged these guys here because um, I grew up in uh, Fairfax County, Virginia, and back in 2000, I remember like when the pandas came to the zoo, and so I would come here a lot with my family because pandas are my favorite animal still to this day, and so I wanted to see the pandas one more time before they leave the country. How do y'all feel about the pandas leaving? What are our thoughts? I'm sad that they're not going to be here anymore, but I think it's great that they get to go back to um, where they were born, um, at least with the parents. Um, and so they they deserve to go back home. I'm hopeful. I'm not 100% sure if this will happen, but I'm hoping that maybe they'll have some other pandas coming to the zoo. Yeah. Um, Cause I think that the Smithsonian does a really great job with caring for the animals and making sure that they have really natural habitat and that they're well cared for. So it'd be great if there's some additional pandas that come, but if not, that's okay. Cause at least they were here for as long as they were. Jason Keough, an American university law student from the DC area agrees. Being like from the DC area, how do you feel like the pandas have kind of affected the community here? Well, I think it's so interesting. Like the the bakery that I live right um, 
I live right above. It's mm-hmm. it's right outside of the zoo, and it's all like there's it's the, all the panda theming, and obviously all the statues mm-hmm. around DC, all the pandas. It's like such a huge part of Washington DC. So I just yeah. like can't imagine DC without its pandas. Yeah, for so sure. So that's why it's that's kind of one of the biggest things for me. It's like it just they they're like synonymous with each other to me. So it's Definitely. really crazy that that they won't be here anymore. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Do you have any parting messages for the pandas? <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Safe travels. Yes. Bon voyage. Despite being a cultural exchange, there seems to be no panda replacements in sight. But as the elections heat up, U.S.-China relations are continuing to enter the fray. And Professor Dixon said there's only one D.C. resident we can survey in order to determine the political climate between the superpowers. Instead mm-hmm. of pandas, what can Americans be looking to for more clues about major political issues, decisions, etc., between the United States and China? Uh, the first thing to be looking for is whether the presidents of the U.S. and China will meet Later this fall, there's going to be an international meeting in in, uh, San Francisco, and there are some negotiations about whether the two presidents will actually meet, and if so, what will come of it. That will probably be the last chance for any type of high-level visit. Next year being an election year in the United States, China recognizes that during election years, there's no point trying to improve relations because, especially now, China is such a hot-button issue in this country. Uh, Republicans and Democrats don't agree on much, but they seem to agree that they don't like China and they're competing to be who can be tougher on China. And the Chinese government has gotten used to this in our election system, that it's often uh, this tool that the parties use to show that they're being tough on perceived threats to the United States. Uh, But then once the new president comes into office, the election is over. Uh, eventually, there's an ep- attempt to get back to a more normal relationship. So, so this visit, if it if it happens later this year, will probably be the last chance for a while before we see any improvement. Uh, already, the Republican candidates, uh, people in Congress, have been harshly critical of China. The Biden administration has released new uh, restrictions on trade with China. So, there's not much sign of of uh, progress, a willingness to talk, at least on the U.S. side, just being willing to talk doesn't seem to be enough for the Chinese government. They want to actually, they want to see things that the U.S. is unwilling to provide. Well, that's all we have for this week. Thanks again to Professor Bruce Dixon for speaking with me, and best of luck to Tian Tian, Mei Shang, and Xiao Qiji. We'll be back next week with more.